By the way, if you've been following along um, in the app, the Uversion Bible app, and you keep thinking, why are we putting it in there in such a, a weird backward fashion? It's actually a glitch in their system. Um, and, uh, and we pointed it out to them, and they're trying to fix it. But apparently it's, uh, it's eluding them so far. So every week it's like the first and second point, for whatever reason, are inverted. But there you go. You know, we serve a holy God. He's gracious. We saw that. We talked about that with, with regard to communion. He's, he's love. He's the very definition of love. But we just cannot get past this one thing, and that is God is holy. And there's a pattern that you'll notice in Scripture that is, I'm sure, off-putting to people the first time they start to read the Scripture. Because it, it just goes against so much of, of how people think about God in our society and even within the, the church to some extent. I'd hate to think what the polling on this would be. But um, there are these moments all along the way. And it always seems like it's kind of at one of those intervals where an era is breaking out a new era in God's redemption history, if you will, that you have these moments that I want to call shocking holiness. How many know their Bibles well enough to already kind of be on to me with that? Shocking holiness. You could start with Adam and Eve, right? All they did was they just ate from this one tree. They broke one commandment, one commandment, right? And God came down hard. God came down, I mean, we would look at it and say God came down extremely hard. And then you, then you go through the Bible, you come to the time of the priesthood. I'm skipping one story to come back to it, but you get to the, the priesthood, you know, the sons of Aaron, and he has Nadab and Abihu, his two sons, two strapping young lads, and they bring strange fire. How many remember that story? I don't know what kind of weird fire it was. Um, it was just strange in the sense that it wasn't exactly how God prescribed. It doesn't even in the text allude to what actually they did wrong. But it was wrong, they did it wrong, and God struck them down with fire. <laughs> wow. And, and Aaron was like, oh man, oh man. Um, you get up to the coming into the promised land. You got Joshua bringing them into the promised land. They fight against Jericho. You remember that? A great victory at Jericho. But then Achan, this guy, he's in there and he sees some of the spoils that they were told specifically not to take. And here they are on the cusp of just taking over the land of Israel as God has promised to them. And immediately God has to deal with sin and, and he strikes them down. He has them, has them put to death. Then you think about how many remember Uzzah or Uzzah? Huh? Don't you feel like that guy got a raw deal? It always seems that way, you know, and again, it's kind of an era where you've got the Davidic king, David, and he's, and he's going to build the temple, but God holds him off of that, but he's bringing the ark up to Jerusalem, and it's on an oxen cart, and the oxen stumble, and Uzzah, who was on the, on the oxen cart, or maybe walking beside it, reaches out and takes hold of the ark to steady it, and God smites him right on the spot. And I think David was a little perturbed with God at that moment. And then, but to kind of encapsulate them all, I want to go back to another story of the Old Testament. And that is sort of working backward again. But Moses and Aaron, did they get to go into the promised land? No. After all they did, honoring God over and over and over again. And, and they messed up one little time. You remember the occasion they were supposed to get water from the rock that people were thirsty and when you read it, it's one of those things where you read it two or three times to figure out what Moses even did wrong. 
Like he's got, he's like, goes to God and God says, yeah, go ahead and take and go talk to the rock. And he goes over and he's like, he says something and then he smashes the rock with his rod. Just a little ad-libbing. We'd give him, we'd let it go, wouldn't we? And God's like, okay, guys, here's what he says. He says, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you have not believed me, and I'm reading from the, uh, this is the ESV, I'm actually reading, reading from the NASB, but he says, because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. God is holy. And these little incidents that we look at are evidence of just this shocking holiness of God. And we need to treat God as holy. That's what we're going to that's our big idea today. We must treat God as holy. I think that's that's a, a large part of what we're looking at here today with Ananias and Sapphira. And a lot of people get to the story of Ananias and Sapphira as young Christians, people that don't know their Bible very well, and they get here and they go, oh my, what on earth is going on? Who is this God who sent his son to die for me? Who is this son that redeemed me uh, from destruction? What kind of God is he? He's holy. Holy God. Now Luke's already kind of get, given us the intro to this. Think about last time we were there. We were looking at that snapshot of the beautiful church. and the church, It was. It was a beautiful church. Beautiful. You had this unity, this powerful message of, of the resurrected Christ. You had generosity. You had the, the, the lifting up and building up of, of, of spiritual leaders that were going to take the gospel and go to other places. It was just an amazing church. And you can imagine that everyone... By the way, if you're writing notes in there, this might be a little frustrating, so I'm going to explain it. I'm going to go through the text, kind of just a big overview, and that's why you've got about half of, of that space just blank. That's for you to take notes at this point. And then about halfway through the sermon, we'll get, we'll get to the actual five points. Yeah? You with me? <laughs> okay. Um, you can imagine everyone is genuinely moved when somebody goes and sells a property. I've been in pastoral ministry for over 30 years, this has never happened. I've never, I mean, I've seen people be very, very generous. I've never known someone say to me, you know, Pastor Jay, I love this church so much. I just decided to sell the farm and give you the money. Never happened. <laughs> just, I'm just going to say, so this is really incredible. And can you imagine how moved people were? And even though, you know, I mean, everything we do here is, is kept very confidential. We don't let people know who gave what and what. But, you know, it, we, it, I'm sure it got around. Hey, did you know Joe, you know Barnabas, the guy we call Barnabas, but his real name's Joe? Do you know Joe went and sold a, a property that had been in his family? And they're like, oh, Joe, way to go. And they're giving him a pat on the back. And, uh, and, and you can imagine that, you know, Ananias and Sapphira, they were, they were just normal people. We don't know a lot uh, about them, quite frankly, except their name. But you can see that they would have they watched stuff like this and thought to themselves, that is cool. Man, I would like... I would like to experience what Joe um, is experiencing. The two of them decided to sell a piece of land, give part of it to the church, and they decided they would keep back part of it. Look at what it says. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now what could be wrong with that? What on earth? Doesn't, doesn't that actually seem like a good thing? You go, you sell a property, 
church doesn't ask for the whole thing. It's whatever you want to give. And so you give half of it or three-quarter or whatever, and you just keep part of it for yourself. We would look at that and go, that totally makes sense, doesn't it? The problem is, and this becomes clear, in this first paragraph, it, it, it's not entirely clear, so it really hits you hard, like, what? But what becomes clear is, it's not about that they kept something for them. It's how they went about doing this. Let's say you had a property worth 100 grand. That's not a you know, huge property. Might be a small house on 17th Street in Great Bend, Kansas, or something like that. Um, say you sell it for 100,000, and you bring it to the church, and you say, here's $50,000, and this is everything I got for selling my home. People wouldn't know any differently. I mean, some of us would be scratching our head going, wow, you got cheated big time on that deal. Um, you should have gotten way more than that. But, you know, we would be accepting, wouldn't we? We'd be like, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's good. We'd be, we'd be impressed. That was the angle. People were impressed. Ananias and Sapphira, they're trying to get honor in a dishonorable way. They're trying to gain glory and credit for something that really doesn't cost them what they say it's costing them. As an aside, by the way, would we even get upset in the modern church if this happened? I'll let you think about that for a second. Imagine the elder board, right? We'll say somebody named Barnabas. Uh, you know, Barnabas Joe Christian. He... Uh, He's sold a property, and he's come, and he's laid it at the feet of the elders. That never actually happens quite that way. But anyway, he brings a big check, and he says, here's what I got for the property. Lo and behold, you know, and we're just blown away. Like, wow, you sold a property to give this? This is amazing. This is just so good. And then it becomes clear, you know what? He didn't actually give it all the way he said he did. What do you think we would do in the modern church? <laughs> oh, you know Barnabas. I've known that guy my whole life. I mean, I grew up in Great Bend. He grew up in Great Bend. He's always been, not a lot. I won't say he's a liar. I'm just going to say he exaggerates things. Wouldn't we do that? We'd be like, oh, yeah, whatever. He didn't give it all. Fine, you know, but, but he gave a lot, and, and we'll take the lot in that case. Um, it says that he, um, that is Ananias, with his wife's collusion, laid the money at the apostles' feet. Now, where were the apostles at this point? That's a good question. The text doesn't actually spell out where this takes place, but if you look at verse 12, as you start, you know, after this, going into the next section, it says that they were in the temple. They were in that, there was like a portico area that surrounded, in the, in the, uh, apparently this was part of the um, court of women, and there were these colonnades, and so that's, that's where they end up in verse 11, so perhaps that's where they are here. As soon as they come and, and bring it before Peter, Peter knows exactly what has happened. How does Peter know that? Spies. No, I'm sorry. Oh, Holy Spirit, that's better. Yeah, you're right. It's, spies sounded good, but I think Holy Spirit actually works. He, yeah, I mean, it, it had to have been revealed to him. It says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And this is where we, where we get the, the, the full explanation, or mostly when we get to the part with Sapphira, it all comes together what the, what the actual um, intricacies of this are. But we see right away here that 
this was not required of Ananias. He didn't have to sell the land. He didn't, he didn't have to do any specific thing with it. He didn't have to give any specific portion or it, necessarily any portion to the church. But what he could not do was deceive. What he could not do was lie to the church. What he, he could not enter into this, I don't know, it's not a Ponzi scheme, but this con job. That was what was wrong. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Did Peter kill Ananias? No. Thank you. That's, that is correct. No. No is the answer to that. No, Peter did not kill him. Although, as you follow the book of Acts along, Peter is the number one guy most responsible for people dropping dead or getting killed. I just want to point that out. You'll see, you'll see this as we go along through the book of Acts. But no, he didn't kill him. He just he spoke the truth. You might have thought that he just dropped over from the shock of it, but of course when the same thing happens to Sapphira, it's pretty clear. This is a God thing. God is, is doing this. Jewish custom was to bury people within one day. You know this. I'm sure we've talked about that before, 24-hour period, and, and they were, the person was to be in the ground. But even for Jewish purposes, this, this is fast. They got him in there in th- under three hours. That, that, that's doing pretty good. I mean, if you go back to the Nadab and Abihu story, remember the ones where they brought the strange fire? If you read that story, there's a lot of parallels to, to this one. And what happens when Nadab and Abihu are struck dead by the Lord? Moses looks over to their brothers and he says, you guys, get them out of here. And that was the next thing that happened. Like they went and they got their bodies and they, and they took them out. If this is happening in the temple, which I think it is, then that makes sense, doesn't it? That it would be rushed. Because a dead body under Old Testament law defiled a person. It made you unclean. You didn't take things that were unclean yourself or any, any item that was unclean into the temple. So if all of a sudden somebody gets to the temple and they die there, get them out. That's the first thought. Could we say this? Just try this thought on for a moment. Could we say that as sin in Ananias and Sapphira, as their sin was desecrating to the holiness of the church, so their dead bodies were desecrating to the temple. And in order to get rid of the impurity to the temple, they had to get rid of the body. In order to get rid of the, t- the impurity to the church, God had to get rid of them. Interesting. That's kind of a parallel that came to me. Well, anyway, it says, after an interval of about three hours, that's how we know it took three hours. Uh, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. So you get the picture. Sapphira is somewhere else, probably in Jerusalem. Girls day out having a cup of coffee, getting a lot of, you know, slaps on the back about that property they sold and gave to the church, right? Um, And she gets back. She has no knowledge 
that they have already gotten rid of the dead body of her husband and are in the middle of coming back from burying him, you know, outside the gates of the city probably. She has no clue. And you would think with HIPAA and all that Peter would have been required to tell her, by the way, before I go any further, I just want you to know your husband died. No, no. Because he wants to hear from her where her heart is at. Where are you, Sapphira? Are you going along with this whole nasty little plot, or are you your own person? So he asked her that question. Did you sell it for this amount? Because, see, that's what it really comes down to. Is it, it, are you lying about the amounts involved? She could, at that moment, she, before God, she could have said, you know what? I'm going to have to say no. No, no. You know my husband. Whew, what, a, what a guy. I, I mean... He really wants me to say this, but I'm just going to have to tell you the truth. She could have done that. By the way, if anyone ever tells you, as a Christian, as a woman, that you have to engage in actual sin because your husband tells you to, that is not true. That is not true. Sapphira was supposed to speak the truth. And instead, she goes in and keeps the con going. She sticks to the script. Peter defines the sin. He says, you have agreed together. So it's a conspiracy, you understand. It's a conspiracy. You have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord. It wasn't an exaggeration. It wasn't a little white lie. It was a plot to defraud God. It was a plot to defraud the church. And it was so brazen because with all of the miracles that they had seen God doing in the early church, they thought they were going to get away with it. They actually thought, we're going to sell this thing, and we're going to keep part for ourselves, and we're going to give the rest, but we're going to say it's everything, and God won't care. God just won't care. Or if he does care, he won't be able to somehow communicate that to the apostles, and thus it will never come out. That's, uh, that's the, the stupidity of what they think. And Peter, in this poetic justice, says, The feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And she falls dead. Put yourself in the place of those young men. You showed up at the temple that day for just a normal church service, just like the one we've had, right? Before it's over, you've become a pallbearer, a mortician, yeah, and a gravedigger. Right? You, you've, you've carried a dead body out of the temple you've gone all the way out you know, trudged you know people staring at you you know you get her outside him out of the city as fast as you can i don't know what tools they had they dig a hole in the ground they stick him in and you know real say a few words you know maybe they didn't i don't know but they got him in there they they said whatever they had to and then back <sighs> And they're sweating and they're grimy and they walk in. And the moment they come within eyesight of what's going on, Sapphira goes, poof. Huh? Right? Hey, guys, uh, while you're at it. Really? Seriously? And they take her out. There. What, what must they have thought when they came back after her? Like, who's going to drop dead next? How many times are we going to have to do this today? If you are in the situation of the church... Seeing all of this taking place, how would you have felt? It says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. In other words, believers and unbelievers alike were confronted with the shocking holiness of God. 
and it caused them to fear. And that's a good thing, isn't it? We need to know who we're dealing with. God is holy. He must be treated as holy. Even in this gospel era in which we live, even though we are under grace, God has not changed. God is still the same holy God. And I'm going to look at five concerns from the text real quickly. Um, it's just it's not going to take that long. Five concerns that God has consider, concerning his holiness. First of all, he cares about his holy honor. He cares about his holy honor. You say, where's that in the text? Well, it doesn't come right out and say it in the text, but I'm going to, I'm going to make an argument for it. What do Ananias and Sapphira want? What is their angle? I mean, they gave a lot to the church. They, they gave a lot of money. They wanted to keep some back selfishly for themselves, and they didn't want anybody to know about it, but, I mean, that in and of itself would not have been wrong. Their angle was they wanted the honor that was coming with that deed. They, they wanted to get credit where credit wasn't completely due. I don't know if you heard about this this week or not, but there is a denomination, a very good denomination. They just elected a, a new president almost two weeks ago now and uh, seemed like an okay guy. But within about a week's time, it came out that he, pastor of a big church, by the way, before he became president. I think he's still the pastor of a big church. Anywho, um, came out that he had plagiarized pretty significantly. There's some side-by-side YouTube videos where you can see what this other person said and then what, what he said. And I heard that and I thought, why? Why would you ever do that? As a pastor, it's so hard for me to understand. Well, I mean, as a pastor of a huge church, thousands of people, so what do you do? What do you do? What, do you, what is your expectation? See, I come in here, the bar is set really low. Can, can we just admit that? Bar's low, you're not expecting much. It's great, Ben. Um, not, a th- not thousands of people. Whatever you got, Jay, we'll take it. But this guy, he's coming in with thousands and thousands of people. He's like an apex predator. He's like a velociraptor of, of pastors. He's got to bring it, man. He's got to, boy, that, that, you've got to be impressed every Sunday or he's not earning his keep. And somewhere in there, you start to just, you know, I just want it to be good. I want, it, I want people to love it. And if that means I have to steal it to get it, right? It's, it, it's such a similar thing. Ananias and Sapphira wanted the credit of being generous without the cost. Why did God come down so hard on them for that? Why does God have this shocking holiness moment? When God also, at many times, has let things go. Well, the scripture says God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. We hear this charge in in Peter's words when he says, you've not lied to men, you've lied to God. Like, what did you think was going to happen? You thought God was just going to let that go, that you would publicly receive all of this honor, and that God would be dishonored? Yeah, think again. Think again. God, in his holiness, is concerned with his honor. Not our honor. At least not among men. I mean, someday he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's the honor that we ought to want and expect from God. But who cares if you've got the greatest sermon in the world or whatever it it might be? What's important is that we seek his honor. Secondly, he cares about his holy church. 
This is an important one. The conspiracy of Ananias and Sapphira had the potential to do incredible damage to the church. It was the camel's nose under the tent kind of moment. How much of the camel is going to end up under the tent once the nose gets there? All of it. All of it, yeah. Paul uses this illustration in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where he talks about sin. He's talking about a man in the congregation who's in wanton, unrepentant, sexual sin, and the congregation is doing nothing about it. And Paul says, look, don't you understand that a little bit of leaven, for those who don't know what leaven is, that's your sourdough starter more or less. Yeah, when you make friendship bread and they give you that little baggie of goo, you know, here, have friendship. That little starter, that's the leaven. You put in that in a whole big massive amount of flour and water, you put that in all of a sudden, it, the whole dough rises. And Paul says that's what it's like when you let sin come in and gestate and have its place. Think back to last week, the picture of the church. It was a snapshot of a beautiful church. People were unified. They had one heart, one mind, one purpose. They had the gospel preaching, the resurrection being proclaimed. People were just willfully, generously giving. They were raising up leaders for for future ministry. It was so beautiful. You don't think Satan wants to destroy that? And how does he do that? He brings sin into the church. When we read about Ananias and Sapphira, we might think God is being harsh. Why would the Lord be so harsh? Why wouldn't he just look past it? But not only does God need to be treated as holy himself, but God cares about the holiness of his people. That's why I ask you what I did when we took the Lord's Supper. What do you see? Do you see God's holiness or do you see God's love? The answer is yes, right? God loves the church so much that he cares for her holiness. He did what he did, I believe, in part at least, was to protect the church. It was a way of of keeping the church from derailing from the mission, that important mission, the kingdom work that that it was going to do. Now, here's the here's the question. Why doesn't God do the same thing today? I'll let you think about that for a minute. My first response to that question is, maybe he does. Maybe he does. I mean, he's not doing it through apostles, so it doesn't quite maybe have the same flash, but you you don't think God ever, ever takes someone home, maybe a little on the early side because, because there's sin? It's hard to know. Hard to know. I don't, I don't have, God hasn't revealed that to me to, to where I would know, but I think it's possible. Here's the thing. The way we're supposed to deal with this, the Ananias and Sapphira situation for the church today is church discipline. It's church discipline. And this is a, for some people, this is just such a foreign concept, and you've heard me speak about it many times, but it, I just have to keep talking about it. And understand, in the, in the Catholic Church and in the churches after the Reformation, there was, there was a consistent, one thing they agreed on was the idea of church discipline, that it, that it had to exist, and we've kind of gotten away from it. But church discipline, as we've said, the church is a, church is a fellowship of, of repentant, forgiven sinners. But what we're not allowed to do is we're not allowed to encourage sin by turning the other way 
from willful, unrepentant sin. We are to call that out. We are to love the church so much that we will do the right thing, just the way the Corinthians were refusing to do. We are to, in humility, with gentleness, go to the person, and if the person won't listen, we bring more, and we confront, and we go through a process, and if that person is still in that unrepentant state, then they are to be put out. And it's better to be put out of the church, I would say in one sense, maybe, maybe not, better to be put out of the church than carried out as it was with Ananias and Sapphira. God still cares about the holiness of his people. He cares about a holy heart. He cares about a holy heart. I want you to look back just for a moment what Peter says to Ananias about his heart. Do you remember that? He says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? The first concern that Peter voices here of the heart is that Ananias has allowed Satan to fill it. Now, why would we ever let Satan fill our heart? How does that even happen? Maybe I'll ask this question. Do we have to let Satan fill our heart? Do we have no defense against Satan filling our heart? Didn't the Lord teach us to pray? Lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil. Does the Bible not say resist the devil and he will flee from you? Does the Bible not say give the devil no foothold? No. What happens is there's a wrong desire in us. And then we give it play and the devil takes advantage. And pretty soon, you know, um, we start going like, well, what? What if, uh, what if I did what old Joe Joe did there, but what if I kept just, I mean, it's my money. Um, does anybody really have to know? No, I mean, come on. They're not going to give me near as much credit if I say that I gave half of it but kept half of it. In fact, they might even accuse me of being stingy. And how dare they call me stingy when I'm giving half of my, you know, you can see how it could play out and you just give room to the devil. I mean, what if I look at a little bit of porn? I mean, if it's on my computer, not someone else's computer, and if, if I keep proper safeguards in place and erase my, my uh, browsing history and a few other things, I mean, you know, well, I got really quiet in here all of a sudden. Do we have to let the devil control our thoughts? Does he have to be able to fill our hearts? Peter says in, in verse 4, why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? So it's not just the devil. The devil made me do It's not just that. You made the opening. You let your thoughts go all over. And then you went to planning it contrived it in your heart. This wasn't done in one quick motion. Ananias and Sapphira had to get their heads together on this thing and talk about it. How we, how's this going to play out? What if so-and-so that, that, that is buying the land talks? Well, we'll have to tell them not to tell anybody. It's, it's a confidential agreement. You know, and you can see them playing it out step by step. It's like the NASA mission. I mean, they, you don't just put a man on the moon. You've got to start somewhere. You've got to start planning. You start working on it. Peter says, you know, you've contrived this in your heart. It's easy for us to look at that and think, what is wrong with those people? Old Ananias and Sapphira. Are we better than Ananias and Sapphira? Well, I mean, so far none of us have dropped dead in the middle of the church service. Trust me, I don't pray that that would happen. It would be a revival for sure, but I mean, 
we're not asking for God to, 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 to do that. But, you know, here's the funny thing. If God struck us down dead every time we let the devil start to work in our minds and hearts, if, if God struck us down every time we started having those plans, well, if I did this and then that and so forth, who would turn the lights out on the way out today? There wouldn't be anybody left. I'm convinced that the story of Ananias and Sapphira are in the Bible, not so that we would sit around thinking to ourselves, when is God going to strike me dead in the middle of a church service? But rather, it, it is meant to be a wake-up call, a wake-up call to each one of us. Not just the church, where we talked about the purity of the church and how we have to put safeguards there and, and, and do church discipline, but each one of us has to put a safeguard on our own heart. I'm redeemed, I'm, I'm forgiven, I'm a Christian, but does that mean that, that I'm utterly holy and that my thoughts are holy and that my heart is holy as it should be or, or is there a place where I have given the devil a foothold? Do I find myself cogitating about could I get away with this? Would it be so bad if that? Huh? Plotting it out a little bit. May it never be. God is holy. We treat him as holy. He cares about our hearts, and he knows our hearts. That's, the, that's another little bottom line here. God knows. He knows what's going on in there. He cares about a holy fear. It's interesting that Luke repeats himself here, and great fear came upon all, and then, it, then Sapphira dies, and he says almost the exact same thing. Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Why are these stories in the Bible? What's the beginning of wisdom? Students of the Bible, the fear of God. We need the fear of God. The idea of the fear of God did not go out with the Old Testament. Now, I, I've said this many times, and I'll say it again. The fear, and I like to use the word right fear of God just to kind of hopefully get across what I mean, but the right fear of God is not a cringing fear. If you were to kick your dog every time the dog was doing something not totally human, um, you know, screwing up the way dogs screw up all the time for being dogs, if you kicked that dog every time, that dog would cower every time it saw you. It would cringe just hoping that it got things right. Is that the kind of fear of God that we should have? No. We have the fear of God that sons have of, of a good and powerful and righteous father. That's the kind of fear that we ought to have. It's a fear that says, I know I am not my creator. I'm a creature. I was made. I know that I'm a sinner. I know what I'm capable of. I know what my, I know that, as Paul says, nothing good dwells in me that is in my sinful flesh. I know this about myself, and I know that God is utterly holy, and God deserves to be feared. And then finally, he cares to show holiness with mercy. Will we see Ananias and Sapphira in heaven? That's an interesting question to ask. And of course, um, the returns are not in. <laughs> um, that'll be one of the first things that I want to find out. Like, I'll be looking around for certain people. I want to see if Ananias and Sapphira are there. Because there are two distinct, totally opposite possibilities as to what, what transpired here. One is like the parable where the, the enemy sow, sows weeds in the field of the good wheat. 
It could be they were, they were weeds from the very beginning. And that God just weeded them out. On the other hand, I mean, these could be people who made a good profession of faith, actually trusted in Christ, and that this was just an incident of severe sin, like Nadab and Abihu. They stepped out of line, and God said, okay, I'm nipping this in the bud. And in that case, we'll see them in heaven. When we see this story, we ought to really see ourselves. Why did they face such a quick and severe judgment, but you and I have not? How many of you, and I'll throw myself in there just for good measure, how many of us, when something bad happens, we say, oh, poor pitiful me. You know, why is God being so harsh? What did I do that was so bad? Why is God a big mean weenie? We ought to look at this and go, why has God been so gracious to me? Why do I walk on this planet and breathe this air? Why do I experience the joy of worship and fellowship with other believers and, and, and food and clothing and a, and a roof over my head? Why? Why is God gracious when I'm no better than, than, than these two people themselves, right? We ought to flip that script. Why is God so good? And all that we can say is it's his mercy. It's his mercy to us in Jesus Christ. It is only, only because of the blood of Christ that we stand in the presence of God as we are. So, treat him as holy, dear ones. He cares for his honor. He cares for the honor due his name. He cares for the church. We should care for the church. Caring for the church does not mean turning a blind eye to sin. We, we must call it out. He cares about our hearts, what we allow to grow there. He cares about fear of God, that that be among us. And he cares about revealing his mercy and his grace rather than abusing his grace. Rather than abusing his grace, let us see it for what it is. And if, and if there's darkness in us and we've allowed that to fester and grow, we should be, sit, literally, I'd be sitting here today going, wow, wow, I'm glad I'm not called Ananias right now. That'd be my first thought. My second thought would be, I need to confess this to the Lord. I need to, I need to bring him what's my, in my heart. It doesn't have to be greed or, or, or a desire for honor or pornography. It could be so many things. It can be an unforgiving spirit. Maybe there's somebody in your life and you just, you just hate them. And, and, and you're not even sorry for it anymore. And you just, you just let that just build in you and grow in you. And you think thoughts that you know you shouldn't think, but you think, well, they deserve it. And you just, you just feed it. Whatever that might be, whatever you're hanging on to, confess it bring it to the lord let him let him deal with it through the way of of mercy through the way of his grace and if you don't know christ today i mean the, the sermon really doesn't end up having to be any different for you does it because what what we've talked about today is a holy god the gospel of jesus christ is a story about a holy 
God who made us for himself. And we are meant to live holy lives, and none of us have. None of us have done any better than Ananias and Sapphira in that regard. We all deserve not just death, but we deserve eternal destruction. And God, who is holy in love, poured out his wrath upon his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that all who turn and trust in him would have that mercy and through him would have life. And we proclaim him to you. If you have not said yes to Jesus, if you not turned to him, we would urge you to do that now in view of the mercy, but what it means to fear God, believe in Christ, believe in Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are holy, and, and we could say so many other things about your perfection, but right now, today, your holiness has really been the main thing that's, that's been impressed upon us, and and Lord, we pray that we would do with that what we ought to do and that you, Lord, would work by way of your spirit, the work in us, in our hearts that needs to take place, whatever that might be. Lord, if we've been clinging to sin, if we've been letting the wrong desire just take root and grow there, Lord, drive it far from us. Let us just take hold of the mercy that's been displayed to us in Jesus. And, and Lord, cleanse and purify your bride and let us walk in that holiness, the holiness of a church made up of forgiven, repentant sinners. We ask that, Lord, we ask that your gospel would find root in someone's heart today that, that has never claimed faith in Christ. May that even now, may that happen today. For we ask it in his name. Amen.